So Revolve is led by elders, okay? Not elders, the way Mormons use the term elders. Where elders is a term in the New Testament. It means pastor, it means shepherd. Um, There's synonyms in the New Testament, overseer, bishop. These are all kind of these terms which mean much of the same thing with different nuance. Um, The idea is that the leaders of a church are called to care for God's people in the same way that God shepherds us, okay? And so God has given these leaders to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, which is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, the ultimate leader of the church is not me. The ultimate leader of the church is Jesus. The New Testament, the Bible calls him the good shepherd, calls him the great shepherd, calls him the chief shepherd, okay? And Jesus modeled for us what leadership looks like. He says, you don't lead like the world. He says, you lead like me. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That Jesus pictures for us what it means to lead people well. Think about it this way. Jesus literally died so that we would be spiritually successful. Jesus died to make us successful. Not the way the world defines success, but the way he does. So elders, shepherds, pastors, synonymous terms in the local church. We are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, Jesus. And the primary responsibilities of your elders, um, whether it's a paid elder like myself, I'm, I'm a paid elder, or you have elders who are good for nothing, right? I mean, they work for free is what I meant. Um, you know, the primary responsibilities are the ministry of the word, ministry of prayer, ministry of leadership, and then protecting the flock. Those are the biblical responsibilities of elders, It's primarily a ministry of the word and prayer that's an overflow of who we are, who we should be in Christ, which is why those qualifications that Victor read in 1 Timothy 3 are so important. And if you were going to summarize those, there's basically three broad categories that an elder needs to check off, so to say. Has to be a man of gospel character. In other words, the way that he lives his life is shaped by an overflow of the gospel at work in his life. He has to be a man of gospel competency, right? In other words, that means that God has anointed him with the ability to explain the gospel, to apply the gospel, to teach the things of God. That's the main difference, by the way, between a deacon and an elder, the teaching. And then the third thing is that there's a clear calling on his life. Not that he just thinks, I got a calling on my life, because then you'd be like everybody who goes on American Idol, but that the church, the church sees the calling on his life, which is evident by the fact that when Victor announced that he was going to be prayed over today and commissioned, you guys applauded. You weren't like, who's Victor? Because you know Victor, because you've seen Victor, you've heard him teach, he's encouraged you, he's prayed for you. And so it's, with my, um, it's my privilege to invite Victor up and the elders. We're going to pray over Victor for a couple minutes here. Yeah, all the elders. This is David McCumber. We call him the Big Mac Attack. We do? We do now. <laughs> this is Victor Davis, Steve Tecco, Bretton Palmer, and Dave Walker, and I'm Bill. And um, we're going to pray over Victor. We're going to do so briefly, not because we don't love you, 
but because we're running out of time and the kids want to get to their classrooms. So let's pray. Here you guys can, uh, I'm just going to pass the mic around. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, know that you are building your church through Christ's work and ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that's the triune God who is the one really doing the ministry. Lord, it's our call to be faithful and obedient servants. Lord, we thank you for Victor's obedience. Lord, we want to celebrate that. We thank you that he desires this noble and honorable task, Lord, to lead and shepherd and serve the church, Lord, that his heart is to serve and to build up the local church, Lord, that the church would be brought to maturity. And as Bill said, to do the work of the ministry, that this is a whole body effort to glorify Christ in Cayman County. And so we just celebrate his desire to pursue that with his whole heart and being. Our Father, we thank you for the example that Victor has been to us as a church family, to us as a group of those who seek to lead this church with all of our um, imperfections, Lord, as the Bible describes uh, spots and wrinkles, and, and yet, Father, we, we um, ask that by the power of your Spirit that we might lead your people and that uh, Victor has already added so much. And we know that you will continue to use him to be an example as we shepherd the flock of Jesus and equip those, Lord, to be leaders in their generation for the Great Commission. And we thank you for the anointing that you have placed upon our, our brother. Oh, Father, what a beautiful heart you've granted us uh, in Victor. Thank you so much for the service that he's already done. Lord, the fact that you have brought him through so many sorrows in his life and acquainted him with grief has only further equipped him to bless us as a, as a church family. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have just embodied your joy in him. So, Lord, I just praise you for his passion. I pray that you would continue to strengthen his right hand to, to be able to minister to the people of this church. Thank you, Lord, that it is not by his strength that he will continue, but by yours. So we pray that you would uplift him, uphold him, and continue to pour out your spirit through him. Heavenly Father, I ask for um, just a protection around his family, Lord, around his boys, his wife. Lord, as we often feel um, when we are entering into times of preaching and leading, we feel the, the spiritual attack on our families, Lord, and it just um, sometimes can, can be a challenge to work out of that overflow when you're feeling that pressure, Lord. So I feel, I ask for just for protection over them, Lord, and I just, um, yeah, I pray for his, his young sons, Victor and Frankie, as they grow up. Lord, that they will just continue as, as we see already a heart uh, for the things of God. And Lord, we just pray as they continue to, to grow that they will continue to see that heart and that Victor um, will be able to, to lead them well. Pray with me, please. Father God, we commission Victor, Lord, to the work of leadership, the work of eldership at the church. We pray that you'd protect him, protect his family, protect this church. Unify us as leaders that there would be no division among us, God, that we would not allow petty differences to drive a wedge relationally, which the enemy would then exploit as a foothold to tear apart the local congregation. Father God, I pray that you would use his courageous spirit, his bold voice, 
and his tenderness, his passion for prayer, his hope for the nations, his desire to see you glorified. Pray that you would use these things that you've put within him to encourage us and to help all of us grow more and more collectively into the image of Christ. We thank you that you say that he is a gift to the church for the equipping of the saints. And we know that we will all grow in the ways that Victor will shape us over time. And so, God, we lay him before you. He is your servant. Let us continually lift him up in prayer, God, as we seek to honor you, our King. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you clap, please? Okay, kiddos, you're dismissed. All glory be to Christ. Love that song. It's been a couple years since we sang it. We used to sing it back in the uh, strip mall. All glory be to Christ. What a beautiful reminder. All things are for the glory of God. All things are for the glory of God. You know, you realize that was the driving passion of Christ as he walked the earth. Everything for the glory of God. That was his highest aim. That was his loftiest goal that he pursued. All things in his life, in his ministry, everything Jesus taught, everything he lived and died for was for the glory of God. And when we bring our prayers to the Creator God, we've been talking about prayer for the last two months. When we bring our prayers to the Creator God, we must remember that the ultimate goal of our faith, of our prayers, and of our lives is His glory. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The primary focus of the Lord's Prayer is the glory of God. Our Father, who's in heaven, holy be your name, completely set apart. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, as we go through that Lord's Prayer, as we've been going through one section at a time, um, and the last phrase, which we're going to talk about today, is in Matthew 6, 13, but it's not in some of your Bibles. You're going to open your Bible, and you're going to say, that's not in my Bible, because it's actually in the King James Version, in the New King James Version, And that's this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, don't get too hung up on the fact that it's in the King James and it's not in your ESV that's in front of you. That's because they're translated from different manuscripts. And the Textus Receptus, which is what the King James was um, translated from, most of those were from the Middle Ages. And there's a lot of scholarly thought that that final phrase was added in as kind of like a culmination of the prayer. And that's why your Bible probably puts it in brackets if you have it in your Bible. And it has like a little asterisk which explains these things. But that doesn't mean the sky is falling because it's true Its truthfulness is reliable and it is biblical. That to God belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what does that teach us? 
And we could pull up a bunch of different verses that says the same thing. But what do we learn from that very simple sentence, the very simple end to the Lord's Prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, first, it begins with a passionate declaration of the sovereignty of God. The kingdom is not revolves. The kingdom is not insert famous pastor's name. The kingdom is not Trump's. The kingdom is not the Pope's. The kingdom belongs to who? The Lord. That God possesses and presides over his vast kingdom. That he is the sovereign king who exercises supreme authority and has unrestricted dominion over an immense empire of which we don't even comprehend. We don't know about other worlds and other planets, and we don't know about the recesses of, of the parts of the ocean that are too deep to traverse. He reigns over it all. He brings the leopard its prey. He cares for the sparrows, young. All of the kingdom, all of the kingdom belongs to him. Second, it affirms that the power belongs to God. What power? The power. In other words, all of it. The power belongs to our God. Its scope is without bounds. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given unto me, all authority in heaven and earth. And not only does he have the authority, that's the kingdom, he has the power to actually enact anything he wants to do. This is reinforced in Revelation chapter 7, verse 12, when they're worshiping the lamb who was slain, and they say, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The fact that God has all of the kingdom and all of the power means that everything that God chooses to do in his supreme majesty, he has the power to do. That God is not in an epic tug of war with Satan as if this is a dualistic world, a yin and a yang. No, Satan is subservient. He is lesser. He is created. And his day is coming. Paul says in Romans, you will crush the head of Satan under your feet, church. Because Ephesians says, we are his body. And everything is seated below us. Because he has all authority. He has all kingdom. He has all the power. And then the prayer finally crescendos with the declaration that also the glory belongs to our God forever. What glory? All of it. You know, the Bible talks about glory. When it talks about glory of God, it talks about glory in two ways. The first way is what we would call intrinsic glory, intrinsic glory. In other words, this is the sum total of God's perfection, the sum total of his majesty, the sum total of all that he is, and mankind adds nothing to that glory. His intrinsic glory is not tarnished by our ignorance. 
He is intrinsically glorious beyond comprehension. But there's also ascribed glory. Ascribed glory is glory given to him, glory that is rightfully deserved, glory and honor and fame that is due to his name. To put it another way, you owe God all of the glory that you can give. You owe him your life. You owe him your heart. You owe him your finances. You owe him your children. You owe God everything you have because were it not for his mercy, you would cease to exist immediately. In him all things exist and they're held together. Not because of your diet, but because of his mercy. You see, these words, all of the kingdom, all of the power, all of the glory, these words, they aren't just rhetoric for Jesus. This isn't, Jesus wasn't saying this would be a good poetic end to this epic Lord's prayer that I've just written. No, this is the way, the way he lived his life. This is the reality of his existence, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then upon his resurrection, from a place of all authority, he doesn't abandon those ideas. Instead, he passes them on to his people. He passes them on to his body, and then he sends them the helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower them so that they can actually live for his kingdom, by his power, and ultimately to his what? To his glory. This is what that means. What that means is that every follower of Jesus, every family of believers, every local congregation, every denomination, every movement of God exists, one, to build his kingdom, two, by his power, three, for his glory. So why does Revolve exist? Revolve exists to build God's kingdom by his power, for his glory. That's why we exist. The Great Commission, making disciples of all nations from here to the ends of the earth, the Great Commission is about building God's kingdom by his power, for his glory, in every dark recess of the globe. The great commandment, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, is about building God's kingdom by his power for his glory to the ends of the earth. That as a church, we are here to build God's kingdom, not Revolve's empire, not a multi-site status, not an Instagram following, not a brand. We don't care about any of that garbage. It's all going to fade away. Because what we need are more nameless, bannerless, logoless workers who just want Jesus high and lifted up in Cape May County because they want to see his kingdom built by his power and for his glory. Not for our glory, for his glory. Yes, please. A leader's job, the elder's job, your discipleship group leaders, parents, what is your job? If you're in any form of leadership, your job is to teach people 
how to build his kingdom, how to live by his power, and how to live for his glory. That's what discipleship is. How to build his kingdom, how to live by his power, how to bring glory to his name so that every tongue, every tribe, every person would not just, God has intrinsic value, but they would ascribe to God, like Psalm 29, give God the glory, give God the glory, ascribe to the Lord the glory, that they would ascribe to God the glory due his name. It is the job of your leaders. If you are a leader, it is your job to equip People to go and live the life that God is commanding them, commissioning them to live. And our hope at Revolve has always been that the people of Revolve would be a family who gathers together to celebrate and be, and be, and celebrate and be equipped and then scatters to go and do that very thing where they live, work, learn, and play. That we want to see disciples made. We want to see new groups formed. We want to see Lord willing. We want to see churches planted. We want to see communities reached and transformed with the gospel in Cape May County and in Dennis and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to be honest with you guys. The last few years have been a bit of a spiritual valley for me. Probably since the pandemic maybe about halfway through the pandemic, since 2020 for sure. You know, when the pandemic hit, I actually was like a little excited. I was anticipating all of these things that God would do. I was expecting to see movement in Cape May County. I was expecting to see almost like the snowball that begins to go and we start seeing God really moving. We start seeing God picking up pace. We start seeing people leading their friends and their family members. We start seeing new groups form. We start seeing new churches planted. We start seeing house churches pop up. We, I really believed these things were gonna happen. I thought there was gonna be an explosion of evangelistic opportunities that all of a sudden people were emboldened to share their faith. And I thought, we're gonna start seeing tons of people surrender their lives to Christ in Cape May County, not just over there, but finally we're gonna see it over here. We just were on the heels of coming out of Moria camp and realizing that the Moria refugee camp in Greece had so many opportunities and they were baptizing so many Muslims and they were seeing so many Afghans come to faith. And I had just gotten back from Egypt with David where we had trained church planners. And then I got invited to Iraq and I went to Iraq and we trained these church planners who smuggled across the border from Iran and they were gonna go. And I thought, this is the beginning. Lord, what are you gonna do? But the reality did not meet the expectation. Instead, what we saw was divisiveness over politics, divisiveness over COVID, divisiveness over social issues. Yes, we saw positively, we saw discipleship opportunities and it was great. But we also saw many key families move away for work. We saw a lot of rebuilding key people at Revolve who left. I think we had like five or six core families who moved away, who were leaders. Moria Refugee Camp burned down. And then when they rebuilt a refugee camp, they rebuilt it like a penitentiary where you couldn't even go in. Egypt never materialized to anything, never got invited back to Iraq. 
And so the truth is, for the last three years, I have felt in a complete fog. Instead of feeling inspired, I feel like I'm just constantly brainstorming. God, what do you, maybe you want to do this. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to do this. Every idea, every dream, every vision, I simply popped the balloon by my own analysis, paralysis, and practicality. Where's the faith? Where's the faith that started Revolve? Where's the faith that we signed a lease having no money, and then the next day a church called us and said that they were going to support us for the first four years? Where's the faith that we had no sound equipment, and while we were praying, we get a phone call of someone saying that they want to know if we need sound equipment because they'd like to donate some? Where was that faith? Where were the bold steps? And of course, that leads you to say, God, where are you? Now, the truth is that I could take the next 15 minutes and I could stand here and I could tell you about all the ups and downs of ministry in 2023. I could tell you that we, you know, we raised this much money in December and this was our total. And, and I could tell you that giving is less than it was in 2020. And I could tell you, but attendance is up since the pandemic. And I can tell you inflation is rotten and our costs are up. And I can tell you about how many people we baptize. And I can tell you that I accidentally gave away $50,000 last year, too much, which I guess is better than overspending, right? I overgave $50,000 out of our savings, helping people in need. But can I be honest with you? I don't want to talk about any of that. I don't want to talk about any of it. I am weary of thinking and acting like a practical person. This week we had a worship camp. That meant we had about 15 students from student ministry who came to worship, uh, to have a camp at our office. And from 9.30 until noon, we taught them basic music theory. We taught them theology of worship. We taught them basic instrumentation. We broke them up into three different bands. This is basically grades six, seven, and eight. You know, and, uh, and they had three bands. One of the bands had to practice in the fire hallway in the cold because there was no space for them. I'm done operating from a place like the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to someone else's God. Because you know what? He, it belongs to my God, and it belongs to your God. And so what I'm going to do with the rest of my time is I'm going to tell you that the dreams and the visions that have been in my heart and Gina's heart for over a decade, and I'm going to tell you up front that if you come up to me and you say, well, what do we do, Bill? I'm going to say, I have no idea. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know if I'm delusional. I don't know if this is from God. I don't know if one of you came in here today and you're like, I got a $5 million check to write. I have no idea. I hope that's true. I have no clue, okay? But I can tell you this, and please show a little life if you agree with me. I am not content to live this ordinary life any longer, okay? 
I'm not content to live that ordinary life. And so let me tell you what I dream of. I dream of every person at this church living for the glory of God instead of the trash of the world. I, I dream of our young people caring more about the gospel than about TikTok. I dream of every follower in Christ, of Christ in this room being equipped to grow in the gospel, knowing how to self-feed on the word of God, that even if an EMP does destroy our grid and you no longer have St. Google or your Bible app, you will be able to take care of yourself spiritually. I dream of every follower of Christ here at Revolve knowing how to fall on their face in prayer and worship at the king's throne to the point of tears to hear his voice and have the obedience to act on it. I dream of every follower of Christ here at Revolve viewing himself or herself as a missionary and then bringing, their go- bringing the gospel of Christ to their place of work. I dream of every follower of Christ here at Revolve feeling so equipped to grow and so equipped to develop others that whether you're a Coastie who gets transferred or you're a family who moves or you're a couple who gets sick of Revolve and goes to another church, you're going to be so healthy that everywhere you go, you're going to imbue whatever spiritual community you wind up in with health because it's who you are. That's what I dream of. I dream of people who live for the kingdom of God and who are filled with God's power and who are obsessed with his glory. I dream that every follower of Christ here at Revolve wants to sacrifice like we are in a wartime lifestyle. They want to pray, they want to send, they want to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. That they want to train leaders, smuggle Bibles, plant churches, evangelize the lost, and make disciples. I dream that every follower of Christ here at Revolve is equipped not just with the gospel, but with practical skills so that they can go to the ends of the earth and they can be tent makers, unpaid ministry workers who are able to provide no matter where they go like Paul. So that when the cash flow dries up under persecution, the gospel doesn't. I dream every follower of Christ here at Revolve knows their role in the story of our king. I dream that every follower of Christ here at Revolve is willing to sacrifice their finances for the king and for his glory because he's worth more than a boat, a camper, or another half bath. I dream of every follower of Christ here at Revolve giving not 2%, 5%, or 10%, but asking God, how much should we keep, Lord? Because if you come back in 2026, I don't want to be sitting on XYZ bank account. I dream of starting a discipleship training center where people can come and be equipped and then sent out. Things that I wish someone had done for me when I was 22. I dream of seeing a community of worship and prayer established where we teach our young people to worship, to lead in worship, to write songs, to seek the Lord, and to do so biblically. I dream of our kids being discipled so well that we don't view the catastrophic collapse into apathy as a normal part of growing up. I dream of bringing people with me on every overseas trip we do because they dream of the gospel going to the least reached places 
in the world. I dream of Saudi Arabia. I dream of Iran. I dream of Syria and Yemen and Qatar and Israel. I dream of the places in the world that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And I wonder how we can get the truth to them. And I wonder why God made me burn so much for it when I can do nothing. I dream that the nations will worship Jesus. I dream that his power would flow over those nations like a river. And I dream that his glory would shine brightest in those dark valleys. I dream of churches planted in the most spiritually desolate places on the planet. I dream of promises and words spoken over me that I believe to be true but have yet to come to pass. The point is this, I dream of more. And Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The kingdom belongs to Jesus and the power belongs to our God and he deserves the glory. And I'm going to be as straight with you as I can. I don't know what's next. But I do know this. If we don't do something, I'm either going to burst or I'm going to dry up. So this is what I want. I want us to pray. I want us to fast. I want us to care about seeking his face. And I want you to spend the rest of the month asking God three things. Lord, build your kingdom through us. Lord, pour out your power on us. And Lord, show your glory to us. And I think if we seek him with one voice, humbling ourselves to pray, I think he's going to show up. But you can't just say, well, I'll let the elders do it. It's time for the people of God to do this. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's pray. And then if you need to go get your kids, go get your kids. Well, you should get your kids. But if you want to come and pray and you want to come and cry out to God, then you come and pray with me, okay? Father God, we ask, Lord, yours is the kingdom. Build it, Lord. Lord, you have the power. We are flesh. We are dust. We have no power. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with power. Give us the Spirit without measure, like it says of Jesus in John chapter 3. Give us the power that we need to build your kingdom 
and to glorify your name and set the hearts of your people on fire so that they are no longer satisfied with the white bread of the world when the banquet table of God is offered to them. Make us completely disgusted with that which chokes out our fruit and trips us up and that we would give no provision to the flesh, but we would sow to the kingdom to build the kingdom and we would sow to the spirit to see the spirit poured out and we would not sow to the flesh any longer. We confess to you living by what is seen instead of what is unseen. And now we ask you, teach us to walk by faith. Teach us to live by faith and not by sight. God, mess us up. I beg this in the name of Christ, who died and was rose again on our behalf. Amen.